Mark Merriweather is a botany expert based in Texas. He has taught thousands of people about plants and foraging. This episode, you'll learn how to improve your health and lengthen your lifespan by living in ancient ways using plants and natural foods. With wild edible plants, it's easy to get vitamins and minerals and medicinals and all that. What's hard is calories. And so if you are going to stock up, stock up on calories, on rice, on beans, on you know, especially beans for protein. So calories and protein is what you're not going to get easily out in the wild. Right. So, but what you get out in the wild is, is like vitamins and minerals, I'm assuming is, is Correct. the main yeah. thing. So yep. when you're foraging, are you kind of like out here like, oh, I feel a bit low on iron today type thing? Like, how do you know? No, I, I, it's more like, what do I think the family will like to have for supper? Right. Okay. <laughs> and what haven't I made? And also what's available like, uh, uh, this weekend, the, I was out in the woods and collected a bunch of chanterelle mushrooms and greenbrier, this this vine that's kind of like asparagus sort of thing. It's kind of like a cross between green beans and asparagus. And my family really likes what's called green bean casserole. Again, so green beans, cream of mushroom soup, some uh, paprika, some French fried onions, all that. So I made my own version of green bean casserole, except it was with the greenbrier stalks and the chanterelle mushrooms sort of thing and so i'm always too scared looking at wild mushrooms like i don't know if there's a quick way to tell which ones are poisonous and which ones aren't or you have to be the guy that knows like oh this freckle here means it's poison <laughs> i you know what i mean it's really difficult <laughs> yeah and and you got to be the guy that says this freckle here to uh, identify a mushroom you really need to look at about 10 different structural features oh dear on the mushroom and most people don't realize there are 10 structural features yeah yeah i get lots of photographs from like eight feet away of this little white ball saying hey can i eat this and it's like don't <laughs> you know because i can't see it's about the the curvature of the the top of the mushroom what's happening underneath the stalk <laughs> When you yeah, pick it, what's, what's the, the insidey part. bit? Oh yeah, I've I've looked into it before because I was like, I want to I want to try some wild mushrooms, yeah. and I I got a big screaming no, don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> you really need to go out. That's one of the most popular parts of my in person classes is the mushrooms because that's really where you need someone there holding your hand, pointing out all the little you know fitzy bits, and say, okay, this is what you're looking for. So. Yeah, the rest, like plants, you can learn from a website. But. Yeah, so when you're out foraging and, and you're out there, you're, you're picking up this and you're picking up that, do you ever try to like regrow these things at home or are you just straight foraging out in the wild type thing? Yes, so <laughs> the green screen is actually my backyard. Um, so in American measurements, it's 30 feet by, well, it's seven, uh, 70 feet wide by 30 feet deep. I've been here for 22 years. The last time I did a survey of the backyard was in 2014, and I had 81 different edible plants right. grown okay. in there. And I know it's more since then because I brought things in. So yeah, one of the things I will do is take cuttings or seeds yeah. to transplant into my yard to, to build it up into what's called a permaculture food forest, really. So it's like a self-sustaining ecosystem yeah. created out of wild edible plants from the trees all the way down to the tubers and the vines and the bushes. and the, you know, So the everything in your garden is, is completely edible apart from the rocks, unless you yeah. can eat rocks. I don't know. <laughs> but, nah, no, minerals, but yeah. Edible, medicinal, or drinkable, you know, used to like make cocktails and so forth. So okay. yeah, but it's all useful. There's, there are pretty plants, but the pretty plants are also edible or drinkable or, excuse me, or medicinal. Right. So yeah. So is there, did you hit like a certain point in your adult life or maybe even from a young age where you were just like, I don't actually need to go to the, to the grocery store for much? So growing up, I mentioned uh, my children were both, or my parents were both children of the Great Depression. And my my dad is still an avid hunter. My mom has some health issues, so she's not. A, but my dad is 87. Uh, Friday, he got his turkey for the year, you know, hunting turkey. But a lot of the food we had growing up was from the wild. The, you know, the, the wild, pretty much all the meat was the deer and the pheasant and the turkey and the geese and the fish and, yeah. you know, the frogs and the turtles and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And then mom did have a big garden, mm. but also a lot of the wild edibles. My earliest memories are actually out in the woods with my mom collecting different wild greens for food. 
Wow. So I grew up with the foraging side. Yeah, you've been living off the land for a while. And and that's like a really sustainable way to live, isn't it? Well, what I tell people, especially if you're in a suburban environment, if you got a house, you can easily do 10% of your food from the land Yeah, with very little effort. Mm. And 10% doesn't sound like a lot. No. But if you think if everyone was doing 10%, that actually greatly reduces the, the agriculture needs of a country. Yeah. And so the ideally, the land could go back to the wild for us to play around and doing our cavemen stuff out there. Most likely, it would turn into housing developments or something like well, that's that. That's the but thing. A, isn't a it? lot of the, a lot of the weeds are surprisingly edible. It's easy to landscape your your property with food plants. Yeah, I you know? f- I found out recently that you can grow uh, potatoes in your leftover grass clippings. It's kind of like you just. You put them in and I didn't look into it properly because I am looking to <laughs> funnily enough before I actually got in contact with you I was looking into getting a whole like polytunnel set up and doing all that kind oh. of stuff yeah I'm trying to get really <laughs> into that because it's like I've got a massive back garden and I've got a nice plot at the back that's like cemented up and it's like a you know it's begging me to grow stuff on it uh, but mm-hmm. I feel like most people's drawbacks into doing this type of things they think it's hard they think it's difficult and I'm sure you'd be here saying like that's <laughs> not completely yeah. So I, I get invited to speak at a lot of gardening clubs. Mm. And uh, basically, I tell them, okay, these weeds you are fighting and pulling out of your garden and throwing away, those are the things you should be eating. Right. A lot of the yard back here was created just by tearing up the grass, Yeah. putting in some bird baths, not bird feeders. If you put bird feeders, you just get those seeds. Yeah. But some bird baths, because birds like to splash around there. Yeah. And then some branches for the birds to perch on. Right. So they come in, splash around the water, sit on the branch, poop, and in the bird's poop, there are seeds. Yeah. And suddenly you get stuff growing all over. And you know, you move the stick around and as plants come up, identify them, figure out what they are. Is it an amaranth? Is it sumac? You know, what is it? Yeah. And then if it's edible, leave it. If it's not, get rid of it. Right. And, and it, it just yeah, it's it's no impact gardening. It's gardening for people who kill plants. Yeah, well, grow the say, weeds. Do you do you have to ever go out there, you know, with a hose or with a watering can and water things, or is it you just? No, um, not so much in Houston. Houston, you know, like this last week, uh, we've been averaging about three inches of rain a day. Right. So it's a uh, we've been getting a lot of rain. So in my place, not so much. <clears throat> One of the nice things about the wild plants, though, is a lot of them are adapted to the weather and the ecosystem in the soil. That's one of the things with gardening. The the, the domesticated plants, they traded, okay, you take care of me and I will feed you. Right. But we take a lot of care. Mm. The wild plants, it's like sit back, drink a beer and let them do what they're doing. And poof, you got food. Yeah. No, <laughs> so it's, it, it seems like a, a kind of friction-free way of, of making things happen. But... Yeah. For you to say things like edible weeds, obviously, that is never a phrase I've heard in my life. <laughs> Everybody sees weeds and think, oh, get rid of it, or, you know, it could sting you, all this kind of stuff. Mm. How do you know? Well, not, not even how do you know? Do, are these things tasty? Like, are these, how do these things taste? Okay, that, that's an excellent question. And here, here's the kind of flippant answer. It depends on how hungry you are. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, they really do range. Like uh, there's a number of the different wild mustards that have a wonderful horseradish sort of flavor. Yeah. So they're really tasty. There's a thing called cucumber weed that tastes like cucumbers. That's really tasty. But there are also quite a few that are really nutritious, but generally somewhat bitter. Right. And so there are different cooking techniques and to help with that. Um, I would say 20, 25% tastes good. You know, maybe another 35% taste okay, like you don't need to do much. And then the rest, you, you kind of have to mix and match and and do things with to really right. make edible. But season them up. And yeah. so there's there's the weeds, there's the plants, but there's also, you, you, you seem like a carnivore, so you do eat meat. Oh, and, yeah. And you forage for this meat too, so you'd go out into the forest yeah. or would you like set some traps or would you be like you know old school hunting uh, in a bush uh, old school hunting so down here especially in texas we are overrun by feral hogs yeah uh, okay. so one of the things there are a number of uh, places where i trade people i will teach you the plants on your land 
in exchange for being allowed to hunt on your property. And so my freezer is filled with uh, deer and pig that I've I've harvested. And that's the thing. I can trap, but usually uh, the laws and so forth, you know, you got to always obey the laws. It's, yeah. it's generally not worth it uh, unless I was going to be on alone or naked and afraid or something like that. So. I'm sure someone like you would do great on that show. Like that would be uh, your uh, bread and butter apart from being yeah, naked. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. My yeah. wife has some issues, but, but uh, no, like alone, they, they, from season one, they've been contacting me. And then finally, I was in a point in my life where I could actually, you know, take the time off and be on the show. Yeah. And so they asked for all these videos and I sent all these videos of me walking around eating everything in sight. Yeah. And they ghosted me. Oh, they're like, this and guy's too prepared. <laughs> they, and, and I know a lot of people who have been on alone. There's a, a secret network of yeah. like bushcrafters and all this. And I've talked with a lot and, and it comes down to somewhat, they want, drama yeah. they want suffering because yeah. that's that's what sells they yeah they don't want some guy fat and happy going ah this is great <laughs> you know chilling they want to see you eat something that could have been poisonous you know what i mean but they, they're like this guy we can't stump this guy unfortunately yeah yeah and and that's one of the great joys is watching any of those shows and go you walk past food there you walk past food there you walk past food there so do you uh, have like a like a mental database of your of your local kind of forests and wild spaces you met? Right, there was some asparagus yeah. there. There's there's yep. this over there. What is that like in your head? How do you Okay, so you know the Terminator movies? Yeah. When Arnold is walking around and he has that like targeting thing on each face and it's green or red. Yeah. That's what it's like I can't turn it off. It's you know constantly <laughs> green, red, red, green, 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 red, green, you know. And, and and it drives people nuts because I'll I'll like be flying down the road at the speed limit. Yeah. And I'll say, hey, check that out. And it's like, what? you know, my wife's like, keep your eyes on the road. And it's like, I went on the road, but there was some horse in back there. Poisonous, but cool. <laughs> you know, things like that. Exactly. Uh, I might pick you know, some up and, for dinner if you don't treat me right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, honey. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's, that's where I got the nickname Merriweather from. So from right. the Lewis and Clark expedition. It's not my real name. But whenever I was out hiking with my buddies, I was always looking at the plants and figuring out what they were and, yeah. and slowing us down. And so just to tease me, they started calling me Merriweather. I see. Then when I started up the Foraging Texas website, you know, Vorderbruggen. Okay, that's that's not like it rolls off the tongue yeah. very easily. But so Mark Merriweather, nice, short, there, yep, concise. Yep. Or even just Merriweather. A lot of times in most things now, I'm just known as Merriweather. From what I've heard and re read on your website as well, it seems that you can you can forage anywhere. Is what you've basically said is as long as you know what you're looking for or what you're not looking for. So in North America, I, I grew up in Minnesota. Yeah. Spent several years in South Dakota, seven years in New York. Now I'm down in Texas. Yeah. In my career in the oil industry, I was up in Canada. I was down in Mexico, down in South America. Uh, our two daughters are both adopted from China, so I spent a lot of time over in China. The The one place I would be nervous about would probably be Africa. But even then, a lot of it is once you know the plant family, you may not know the specific genus, but there are certain families that are safer than others to experiment with. Yeah. So, but yeah. Uh, so oh, for you, you know, Africa, Africa has <laughs> too many kinds of variables, too many kind of plants you haven't seen yet. So Africa is really interesting because from a botanical viewpoint, it was very isolated. Right. Yeah. Um, just because where it is in the latitudes, there are plants there that, how do I want to say this? Can't grow plants, anywhere else. Yeah. Basically plants like to grow, you know, at the same latitudes yeah. around the earth. They don't go north and south much. Yeah. And Africa, because... You got the Mediterranean, you got the oceans around there. There wasn't a lot of movement of the plants in Africa. So they are very different, you know, back from when the whole, you know, Pangea, the, all the continents were locked together and they moved apart. Uh, it's been more isolated except for maybe Australia, but with Australia, they have so many plants that came in from elsewhere that have naturalized that I feel I could probably do uh australia okay but africa i'd be willing to give it a shot yeah <laughs> but that, that could be uh, your next be tv series or that could be your first tv series <laughs> first tv yeah yeah Mary that takes on africa 
there I mean, we I, go. I feel like there is definitely some kind of market like that for you because you know so much. <laughs> I don't know how many people you know that know this much, but I can guarantee you 99.9% <laughs> of people do not know half, if not 1% I'm, of what you know. I'm trying to change that though, so... Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you saw on my YouTube channel, the four seasons of Meriwether's world. That's what I was about to ask you about. Oh, okay. It's, yeah. It's about and told so, me through this. Okay. So part of the, so Meriwether's world, that was a YouTube and Facebook live show that I started up uh, 2016, maybe. Uh, but there's a hundred episodes and each one is an hour long and it was devoted to a specific topic like, you know, plants to stop bleeding or elderberry, you know, either about a plant or about plants for the brain, plants for working out, increasing your strength. Uh, also interviewing people like one of my favorite uh, with NASA, I've done some work with NASA, interviewing one of their space farmers, you know, the people trying to grow plants on the moon and on Mars and stuff like that. So Part of the reason of creating that was that it occurred after Alone ghosted me. I said, well, screw it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make my own show and, and hopefully Discovery Channel or something like that will see it and, and hire this guy. Yeah. Um, it didn't turn out that way. Yeah. But it's there. <laughs> it, it, That's, I feel yeah. like sometimes it's not about getting the, the big deal. Sometimes it's about just getting that content out of yourself because it was, it was in you all along. Yes. Yes. And uh, that... Uh, my wife and kids will vouch. I have a huge ego. Yeah. You know, and so I, I need an audience. So thank you very much. Like I said, every preacher loves a pulpit. So anytime I get a pulpit, the preaching begins. Uh, but yeah, that was Pair of the Merriweather's World because there was so information that is best brought to people live. Like, yeah. you know, the Foraging Texas website, great information. But even there, there was more information that I wanted to share. Yeah, so, no, most definitely. And that's, that's what I did with that. And I, I went to 100 episodes. Yeah. And then it was taking up a hell of a lot of time. I mean, each episode, I yeah, it took, you know, anywhere from five to seven hours a week to, to prepare and make yeah. the slide and doing all this sort of stuff. And after 100 episodes, I was just tired. Of course you'd be tired. Like, yeah. And felt like I was starting to phone it in. I had more information, but my heart was no longer in it. Yeah. And so I figured, okay, 100, that's good. That's that's, a, that's then, an amazing and, number. A lot of people don't make it past 10 or yeah, even to one. Well, and, but I, there's a lot of information, and there's still a lot of information I could talk about. And so now I've switched over to podcasts because I really like, you know, answering people's questions. What do you want to know? And yeah. let's see if I can answer that. Yeah, no, most um, definitely. Because your, your whole kind of, <laughs> I only watched a couple episodes because I didn't have a hundred hours to, to catch uh, <laughs> up. But it was like, you were talking about the hundreds, if not thousands of benefits for like for foraging for people. It's like, look, you don't need to go to the, to the store and get these pills. You can get this leaf and do this and grind it up and da, 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 da. I was like, oh, I was like, does this work? I was like, it must do. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> I hope so because I mean I that, that's my business now is I put a roof over the head. It's oh. always back, you know. That, so I have seven different products from Medicine Man Plant Co. Yeah, using ancient plants for modern issues. But being so, just a little background. Yeah, you know, people can see a PhD. I have a master's in medicinal chemistry. Right. A PhD in physical organic chemistry. My plan was to be a pharmaceutical scientist, but then the oil industry showed up and threw up bunch of money at me yeah and so i spent 18 years using my knowledge of plant science to come up with envi environmentally friendly replacements of less friendly oil field uh chemicals my first patent was using cinnamon as a corrosion inhibitor my 14th the last patent i got in the oil industry was mimicking the oyster shell around sand to prevent it from causing dust that causes uh silicosis of the lungs, just an easy self-assembling. So, uh, you know, taking my love of nature and the knowledge of nature and applying it to modern issues in industrial oil field type stuff. At the same time, all the herbal side, studying all the herbal stuff, the foraging Texas, all that. Finally, in 2016, uh, price of oil crashed. Everyone was let go. 90% of the people in the company I worked for were let go. Um, and then I got picked up by consumer goods. And then a year ago, actually finally said, I'm done working for others. I 
feel at this point I have the knowledge necessary to to, to go know, start well, a, go yeah and it's actually a three person company okay but, but the, uh, you've got employees that means you're making some money I was gonna well, say I, I, technically I'm the employee oh well, this doesn't matter man <laughs> somebody's yeah. making money but what, oh yeah what I didn't realize is I didn't realize you had this whole career in oil I thought you were just a straight nature wild man but Oh, no, no, what, no. That, <laughs> what that shows me is like there's there's many applications for your knowledge it's not just about oh yes i can eat for cheaper and this that you you've created mm -hmm. something you're, well you skipped over 13 other <laughs> patents but it's like you've created some amazing things man and you know what an what a amazing mind you must have to be able to go hmm yes cinnamon can stop this from happening but that's from years and years of knowing what cinnamon can do to a body or in a mix of well, other things and, and it's more it's knowing the what we call the isoelectronic structure i'll pretend i, I mean, mean what I, that I, means okay so <laughs> the molecules have a shape cinnamon has a very specific shape it has a very specific cloud of electrons around it that is perfectly matched to interact with the electron cloud on the surface of metal so because of structural features of the cinnamon it can bind to the metal with uh, with a few other things added in there to kind of clean other stuff off the metal but yeah the cinnamon and then with the cinnamon on there then the oxygen can't get there to cause it to rust or in my case it was acidizing acid couldn't get through and yeah so wow so you literally are the definition of a mad scientist oh definitely yeah that <laughs> at my last job uh they they they, they asked me, what do I want on my business cards? Because it was a, a new position. I said, uh, let's just put, uh, you know, battle mage. Yeah. Because <laughs> they were asking me to do impossible stuff using the planet. Because they, they, there was a, uh, what's called a paint sundries company. Uh, so not the paint, but, you know, the paint strippers and all the stuff you use, cleaning products. And they wanted me to apply the greening to their stuff because their stuff was horribly dangerous and it's like wait you want me to be able to strip paint as quickly as you know methylene chloride which takes it off instantly but with a product that could also be used as baby food yeah that's what we want okay give me three weeks and <laughs> it took a little something. it took like five weeks but yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> so I, and i i ended up patenting some stuff there the patents haven't been issued but yeah, yeah. Wow. Basically, yeah. again, using natural products to like strip paint and things like that. So, so you see a whole bunch of applications for natural based or forage based lifestyles. And yeah. it kind of goes into what you put into the, the Google Doc that you filled in a while back. Um, ancient ways of living. So, ah, yes. so you see that there's modern things that can be done, but with ancient methods. Yes. Could you give me and, an example that you use in your day-to-day -day life? Okay, let's, let's, this is where I get to, uh, you gave the preacher a pulpit again. That's so what I want to do, ask, man. I'm going to ask you two questions. Okay. Both are going to be odd and difficult for you to answer, but let's see what you do. Okay. Okay, first question. Why are your floors and sidewalks and roads flat and hard? That's just how they are, isn't it? That, I don't know. This is England. There's lots of holes in our in our sidewalks, but yeah, <laughs> no. No, it's yeah. convenience. Yeah, okay. It, it's easier to walk on. It's easier to push a load on. Yeah. So yeah, it, it made life more convenient having flat floors and flat sidewalks and flat paths. It's convenient. Yeah. Okay. So we gain convenience. Right. Second question: What did we lose? natural irrigation so we had to put in plumbing systems because you know if it rains a lot now all that flat you see like pooling water but in nature what will happen is you know mud will slide down rocks will do this and all that kind of stuff that is a great answer no one has given me that answer <laughs> i like that answer and you are absolutely correct and now let's let's bring it even closer in what have you personally lost by the fact that your floors and your sidewalks and your roadways and all the surfaces you travel across are flat and smooth. Less strength, flexibility, I don't know, something like that. Yeah, so a number of things. 
So let's let's we're gonna go sideways for a little. Let's go. But uh, Take me. okay. So Japan. <laughs> yes. Japan. The population in Japan demographically they walk is a lot. Really inverted. They have a bunch of old people. Yeah. Not a lot of young people anymore. So they've put a lot of research the last twenty years into. They see it coming. How can we maintain the health of the elderly? One of the big things they found was the more time a person spends walking on uneven ground the healthier they are both mentally and physically as they age. So on the mental side, when you are walking on uneven ground, that's how we evolved. Your brain is used to, it's trying to analyze the surfaces and adjust and your brain is constantly analyzing the surface. The brain analysis is brain exercise. So it's keeping the brain stronger, more vigorous. It's doing what it evolved to do, walk on the, the un, you know, uneven ground. And then you mentioned the strength. Yes, the core muscles, the ones involved in the balance and everything become stronger because they're constantly doing all this micro adjustments. Mm -hmm. Your sense of balance also becomes much better. And so between the stronger core muscles and the improved sense of balance and the, you know, the better, uh, stronger brain effects, you hold off dementia, you hold off Alzheimer's and any of the, the mental deterioration you have an overall greater health. There's a big correlation between overall health and just general strength. But your sense of balance is also much greater than the average person, making it less likely to slip, fall, and break a hip. Because if you're like over 70 and you fall and break a hip, that's really a death sentence. You know, a, a huge percentage of them are dead within a year. So, and then just again, walking outside the exercise the increased uh, bone mass, you, you maintain bone density. So all these things, you're doing what your body evolved to do. And from that, you're, you're reaping the benefits of it. Your body going, yeah, this is what I need. I need to be walking on slippery, muddy, uneven ground so I can use my brain, yeah. use my body, maintain my strength, maintain my sense of balance. Mm -hmm. And then those benefits last the rest of your life. Right. So that that's the benefits of living anciently is kind of like you will technically oh. live for a lot longer especially in this modern world where you know you have better health and yeah. you know what's the word uh hygiene standards you know not it's not like back play in the a day. big role yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not like back in the day where we were you know oh no put some leeches on him that'll fix everything it's like <laughs> maybe not maybe clean it out a bit and do this yeah and that. yeah yeah instead of uh, putting maggots to eat the dead flesh why don't we you know hit up with some antibiotics <laughs> there are plenty of antibiotic plants that that help too so would you say in your garden you have all the kind of things you would personally need to to live past you know average life expectancy or you know to 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 have less of a chance of of developing alzheimer's and all these types of things yeah honestly yeah um excuse me sorry i had I, I, I did have some green beans this morning that's okay <laughs> uh so on my website, on foragingtexas.com, if you scroll down on one side, there is Meriwether's Elixir of Immortality, which is a mixture of reishi mushroom, which is considered to be the mushroom of immortality because it has all sorts of amazing benefits, antifungal, antibacterial, antiviral. There are two commercial cancer medications made from it. Uh, one prevents tumors from forming. Right. It's usually given to people after they've had a, a sort of cancer where if they develop tumors, they cut off the tumor, but then give them this medication to keep it from growing back. And then the other components in the Rishi, they protect healthy cells from the poisons of the cancer medications. A lot of cancer medication, their goal is to try and poison the cells. The cancer cells have a faster metabolic, uh, metabolic rate, so they react more quickly to the, the poison and die, hopefully before the healthy cells do. But the Rishi helps protect not just against chemotherapy, but any sort of cellular poisons. FDA warning, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so there's that. There's elderberry, which is an amazing uh, immune system empowerer. So both the innate and the active uh, or selective immune system that helps with that. There's the burdock root, which helps strengthen and speed up the action of the liver because the liver is in charge of getting out all the waste products from you. Uh, and you know, just basically taking care of the cells, taking care of the immune system and taking care of the liver. My plan now is to be immortal. 
and let's, let's so far so good yeah i mean you don't <laughs> seem dead to me you seem very much alive uh, i i'm 54 and i have or 53 yeah 53 yeah um and running rings around you know most people my age that's for sure yeah i mean so i feel like it's, it's as well it's like naturally part of what you enjoy doing the foraging is is active a lot of people don't have oh, yeah activity that they do every couple of days or every week that or, is yeah. as, as, as that is as involved as what you're doing a lot of people are like oh well i finished work let me go sit down you're probably like oh, i finished work let me go forage do you know what i mean it's time to get <laughs> out there and, and do what i'm yep. doing so mm -hmm. what what is kind of the because i've i've got a list here of this kind of pulled from your website the foraging ethics we kind of touched on it earlier about mm. you know asking permission and all this kind of stuff but you've right. got four key points here, which is respect the law, respect the land, respect the plant, and respect yourself. So we've got past the respect the law, respect the land. Let's go on to respecting the plant. How do how does one respect the plant? Oh, okay, great question. The the goal when you're foraging is to harvest in a sustainable manner. So when you think about hunting or fishing, there are laws saying what animals you can take and how many you can take of them. In foraging, there aren't any laws like that. So it's up to the person to limit themselves and forge in a sustainable manner. If, again, if you go to the website, foragingtexas.com, there are currently 225 plants and mushrooms. Each one has an abundance code and says how many of these plants are you know, out in nature. And that then tells you how much you can take. You know, is it invasive? Is it plentiful? Is it common, uncommon, rare, or endangered? And like, if it's invasive, just take all of it, get rid of it. It's, it's causing problems in the ecosystem. And then you kind of basically cut it in half each time. So invasive, take all of it. Plentiful, take 50%. Common, take 25%. Uncommon, 10%. Rare, I say right now, get a selfie with it, but wait until Armageddon comes <laughs> and there's, you know, the, the Shopco and stuff are shut down and there's no longer any food. Then eat it. And then people are like, well, why do you have endangered plants? Because over the years, I've taught so many people how to identify plants and sent them out in the woods, thousands of people at this point. Botanists here in Texas have figured out this guy is teaching people about plants and sending them out to look at plants. And they've said, hey, here's some you know, historically significant you know, plants that were used in medicine or food, um, but have been you know, lost. Have people look for them. And when they find them now, especially with cell phones, you can get the GPS coordinates. Yeah. You know, get those from them and then give that information to us so we can find new colonies. And over the 13 years that I've had those on there, we found two two plants, two new colonies of uh, plants that were thought were just about wiped out. So that's really excited. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that. It's a, the thing is, with, you know, massive forests or rainforests or any kind of vegetation, there's no one going out there looking at every square inch of land to see yeah. what's endangered and, and what's what's extinct. And so the more people that are out there looking for things in different areas and they're covering that, you know, that square footage in, in general is how you can go, oh, actually, no, this is still alive. Well, people might see something and not know what it is. And it's like, yep. for someone like you, you'd be like, oh my gosh, it's the wild, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's the wild green toad <laughs> mushroom thing. And you're yeah. like, it's still here. But yeah. it's definitely one of those things where, you know, where you're saying about respect the land, where you've educated so many people in botany and, and plant identification, you've technically made your own job better to do because there's now more people that have an interest in things that you have an interest in but would not be able to see for yourself. Yes, yeah, it's always exciting. A lot of people will send me pictures of plants to identify or mushrooms, and it's always exciting. There's been a number of times where they've sent me a picture of a plant. I've been looking for that plant forever. I've never seen it in the wild. You have. You have it. And this is, yeah. you know, it's a moment. I, and it, yeah, it, it's awesome. You know, or or in in the best of courses when I find it out in the wild, someone's like, ah, I've been looking for you. <laughs> you know, finally. So how do you how do you kind of go to say if a plant becomes endangered or a plant becomes you know very very rare. Is there anything you can do personally or a person can do personally to to repopulate that plant? Okay, that gets tricky because at least here in the US and both there are federal and state laws about harming any you know endangered plant. Right. Even to the point of taking the seeds. And one right. of the issues with uh, endangered plants is usually they have a very 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 special 
very selective ecosystem that yeah. they prefer you know like swamp on the north side of a river with limestone around it you know or yeah. some weird combination yeah yeah and so even taking the seeds and try and replanting them elsewhere mm-hmm. probably isn't going to do it the okay. the main thing is to alert people don't set your tent right here don't you know don't pee here in the woods you yeah. know just just go around this area like now i don't know if in the uk with drones you know the flying drones here in the us now there are quite a few no fly zones where you're not allowed to fly the drones over it's kind of that same thing with the endangered plants you know trying to you know create don't camp here go go 100 yards that way or that way you're fine but not right in this spot yeah okay. sort of thing so, so it's it's more about protecting it than it is about trying to you know like what they do with animals where they try and make more of them right which, which yeah. can end up and, killing and them. yeah especially if you don't know what you're doing which in the end a lot of people they think they do but they don't and so it's give me the coordinates let me get them to the botanist let the professionals handle it you know and and generally then like i said going back to the very limited ecosystem it's more like they're just going to try and protect that or if they know of other similar ecosystems that some can be transplanted to you know exactly the same sort of area right so they they have the knowledge to do that right and with your immortality mushroom thing is there (laughs) Are there other types of things that people can go to like the you know the grocery store or the you know the corner shop and get for themselves that will help with the whole kind of longevity of life things oh yes you can go <laughs> medicine man plant co yes go to medicine man plant co.com and get the brain pill. pill and the liver pill that that's that will all be in the show notes actually because all these <laughs> things all these things do seem quite oh there's so many oh, the libido <laughs> that's that's what i might take uh it's, i've taken enough that i've annoyed my wife so. oh dear okay <laughs> so so okay so you've got this really kind of like how can i put i'm it? living the dream yeah man. i'm about to say you've got this I'm like living infectious, the dream. infectious energy where it's like you you're so passionate about leaves and plants it's made me wonder like why am i not feeling the same way am i missing out on something <laughs> do you know what i mean everyone is different yeah everyone is crazy on their own special way yeah i'm, I'm crazy about uh, audio uh, i guess that's that's kind okay. of there you thing. go so yeah you devote your energy to that i devote i mean i'm I'm one of those people that likes to do lots of different things but i learned that i don't have time to do lots of things so i've focused on the plants and all this happened <laughs> you know so have you ever had any close encounters or or bad experiences with certain <laughs> things like misidentification of plants I love that question because I, I, I get to show my human side. I've never had a problem with a plant. I'm very careful about plant identification before I eat anything, cross-reference it and a bunch of stuff. The only time I've ever accidentally poisoned myself, I was on a canoe trip and we, we set ashore and along the shore were these big grasshoppers, these big slow moving grasshoppers. And I'd been reading about a lot of cultures eating grasshoppers and locusts and all that stuff as, yeah. as food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I cooked some up and ate them. They tasted good. They tasted like steak. They were delicious. <laughs> Wagyu grasshopper. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be a Japanese massage. But uh, the, in retrospect, my mistake was completely obvious. But these grasshoppers, these big, slow moving, just reached down and grabbed them. They weren't yeah. trying to run away or anything. They were very brightly colored. They were red and black and yellow and all this sort of thing. Their main source of food is poison ivy. Right. So <laughs> you ate a poison steak. Eating basically. the poison, yeah, basically, yeah. Instead of a grass-fed steak, it was like eating a poison ivy-fed cow. Oh dear. Uh, and so, yeah, poison ivy of the intestines. Not so good. It's an awkward thing. Yeah. Luckily, a lot of the stomach acid destroyed the urethral, the compound, but there was enough that for a day or two, it was like. Maybe Very... if I eat a handful of sand, that will, that will help. Yeah, so that's 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 my one mistake. Just the one so far, so far, so far. Okay, and so I didn't realize this. So you're you're also an, a person that will eat insects and stuff like that. Because my theory is, if some culture eats it, I will give it a shot. I right. will try it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a show so... that we have over here in England called "I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here." right yeah yeah so uh, a lot of what people see on there is things that they would never consider eating but i feel like for me personally i would just want to know what it tastes like 
I've, I'm very interested in be like, what does this taste like? Would it taste good? And for you, I feel like you'd be like, I need to incorporate well, this into my diet. Yeah, how can I get some <laughs> yeah, witty yeah. grubs over here? Yeah. Oh, oh, that'd be good. Yeah, but like around here, we have these little wood scorpions that when you roast them, they taste like a mixture of shrimp and cheese. Okay. Which sounds kind of odd, but they're actually, in my opinion, they're quite tasty. Right. And so do, would you ever like go out and like get some of these um, these scorpions and like breed them to have like a whole like scorpion eating party? Or are you, are you more about like, oh, I found one today. That's one for that, today. Yeah. The, the, the breeding them has been discussed. Right. For just a very short amount of time yeah. with the wife who basically didn't even have to say no, just had to give me the look. And it's like, I know that look that is no. But you tried <laughs> to sell it. I'm sure you tried to I sell tried it. I tried to sell it, yes. I was more successful with the snails. I was going to say, does she ever let you indulge in, in any of your, your fine dining choices? Snails. What, what was the, the attraction to the snails and how were you eating so them? So escargot. Yeah. But you cooking yeah. them, eating them raw? Or... Yeah. Uh, so no, never eat, never eat any insect raw. Okay. Most insects, snails, grasshoppers, all those, a lot of times they'll be infected with tapeworms. Right. Which cause all sorts of problems. And then also snails can uh, sometimes have a bacteria. That's a problem. So everything has to be cooked. Right. Um, oh, so my wife is not a morning person. Yeah. I am a raised on a dairy farm. I'm a morning person. Yeah. And so a lot of the experimental bug foods occur while she's still sleeping. And then she finds out about it later. Uh, <laughs> she's like, what so, have you eaten today, Mark? It's like, well. <laughs> and, and what have you fed the kids? So again, down here in Texas, we have these things called June beetles or June bugs. It's just a, it's just a beetle. But they have long been a staple food of the Native Americans in the area, the Comanche, the Apache, the Hopi. Uh, and so you roast them up, they kind of pop like popcorn and then you peel off the, the, the feet and the, the wings and it's like a roasted peanut Wow! or like popcorn that tastes like a roasted peanut. And normally I do it in a frying pan, but I don't know if you know the hot air poppers, the popcorn poppers. Yeah. So I was thinking, you know, I bet they would pop really well in that. Yeah. My wife heard me say that and she immediately took the air popper to goodwill and got rid of it. <laughs> She's so, like, no, no, no. You're yeah. only allowed a blender now. That's it. <laughs> No, no, you don't have the blender anymore. <laughs> what happened to the blender, no. Mark? No, we we don't have to talk about that. Oh dear, that seems like you're sad about. <laughs> I that. would say, well, it's better than the microwave, I guess. What happened to the microwave, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here in well in North America, there's a very thorny vine called a greenbrier, and it produces these huge tubers. Uh, these tubers are about thirty percent starch and 70% wood fiber. So you can't treat it like a potato. But the like the different Native Americans, especially Algonquin and the Sioux, they would slow roast these tubers under fire and then dig them up, chop them up, and suck on them. The starch, starch is a bunch of sugar molecules linked together. And then when you heat it, slow roast it, you break it apart into the sugar. Yeah. So after slow roasting it, they would suck on it like sugar cane. Right. Okay. And then spit it up. Yeah. So my theory was, well, instead of slow roasting in a fire, let's just put it in the microwave and see if it can, if you can bake it like a potato. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I found a nice tuber, put it in the microwave, set it for 15 minutes. Everything was going fine. Then at minute 11, the wood fiber ignited. Oh, nice. And, and, <laughs> and not just smoldering. It, it was okay. It was really cool. I know. It was I've, like I've started a fire in the microwave before. It, it's all different colors and it shoots around like fireworks. Yes. Yes. It's like <laughs> yeah. plasma and all this is going on. And the front door of the microwave starts melting and these flames are starting to burn the cabinets. Yeah. My, then my first thought was, oh, this is neat. Second thought is, holy crap. Grab the fire extinguisher. So now there's yellow powder all over the cabinets, all over the stove, all over the microwave because the microwave's above the stove. Yeah. The house smelled great. <laughs> it was Christmas time. Yeah. The wife and daughters were out shopping, but the the starch broke into sugars, the sugar caramelized. Right. It smelled like a wonderful Christmas toffee dessert sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then so the wife comes home, smells the air, and since I do a lot of cooking, not just with bugs, but you know, regular food, cooking, human food. <laughs> yeah. She goes running into the kitchen to see, you know what i had cooked for them yeah and then you know she she's because i i was still in the process of cleaning 
cabinet scorched, yellow powder still everywhere, microwave door melted, hanging off. And she gives me her other look, the one where you can see her mentally calculating the life insurance policy in her head. <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't say anything other than I'm going out to get a microwave. Yeah. She turns around, goes out. The next day, a piano is delivered to our house. Okay. She decided instead of a microwave, we're getting a piano and the kids are going to take piano lessons. Yeah. And you can't say a damn thing about it. Well, did you ever get a new microwave? Or yeah, having... we got a new microwave. But you're banned from using it when no one's in the uh, house. Yeah, basically, I am have a list of things I'm allowed to do unsupervised in okay. the kitchen. Oh. I can do it outside <laughs> you know, or in the driveway you know, where there are less flammable stuff, that sort of thing. I, I don't know if you could say that. I got it. Well, the yeah. fire pit, you know, things like that. Oh, but wow. yeah. That, okay. But so... I've broken several blenders. Well, what uh, were you trying, trying to blend, blend in there? Branches or rocks? Like, yeah, what are you trying to um, yeah, wood bark. Okay. Things like that. Kind of pulverizing it to get more surface area to extract the medicinal compounds out of it. Right. And so, so in this kind of experimentation process of, of mixing different things together and trying to create new things, you know, a bit of this and a bit of that, have you found like, your, like a, like a go-to thing that you enjoy to to make and eat something that you go oh i really fancy a, a cup of blended nettles or something uh, actually yeah one of the things i really like doing is making plant infused pastas okay so pastas it's flour it's egg it's a little oil a little salt you know mix that together but then there's all sorts of you know anything from stinging nettle. stinging nettle pasta is a thing that's very common and i was saying okay what about all these other great medicinal plants and tasty greens and stuff like that? So dandelion flower pasta or cucumber weed or lamb's quarter or all these sort of things. And so I really enjoy doing that. I like mixing different things in pasta and then for, you know, and just like making the pasta, boiling the pasta and just with a little bit of butter and some wood sorrel on it and yum. What is Easy. wood sorrel? What does what does that do? What does that add? To okay, the... so wood sorrel. Okay, the shamrock. Yeah, and, and you know the Irish shamrock. They say the four leaf clover. Yeah, that's not a clover. Okay, that is a member of the oxalis species. Yeah, the difference. So the oxalis species has three heart shaped leaves. Yeah, clover leaves are round or oblong. So if you see the three heart shaped or four, if you're lucky. Yeah. That is oxalis species. It has oxalic acid in it. Right. Uh, are you familiar with rhubarb by yeah. chance? Or... Love, love okay. rhubarb. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that tangy flavor in rhubarb yeah. is oxalic acid too. So right. wood sorrel is like, those shamrocks taste like rhubarb. Yeah. Okay. And so you can use that. And I like whipping it into butter to make a nice tangy, lemony sort of butter that I put on, you know, everything. Right. Okay. So. Right. Yeah. Okay, okay. But, uh, yeah, but just, just infused pastas, it's fun. It's meditative as you're kneading the dough and rolling it out and slicing it. it you know, there's, there's going back to the whole caveman thing. And the more things you can touch and textures and so forth and, you know, and grip strength and all this stuff, the stronger your hands are, the healthier you are. And then the, again, getting the dough to the right texture, your brain is being stimulated. Even though you can just have random thoughts, the caveman part of the brain is still going, okay, squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. All right, you're good. Now rolling it out. So there's, there's, it's almost like a meditation. Cooking in a way can be a meditation. And the more hands-on it is, it takes time. You need to have the resources, the time to do it. But there's, I don't know oneness with the universe you yeah. get out of it yeah and especially if you started out earlier in the day out in the wild collecting the plants that are going to be involved into it um like yeah this uh in october for the cato mounds uh, it's a native american group down here i'm doing a forge in the morning cook in the afternoon feast in the evening event that's right. going to be really that's exactly awesome. what i was just about to ask you about is like do you do a yeah. full a full end-to-end -end day of like this is what you can eat here i've cooked it let's eat it and talk about it so you, yep, you really yep. do that yeah. kind of thing. And, and and I will say it's a lot of work. Yeah. So I don't do many of them. It's really, right. there's a few groups that I'll do it with. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 
totally worth it. But yeah. man, by the end, I am exhausted. Well, it's a whole <laughs> because, long day and you're going to be walking around. And Yeah. As you see, I'm, I'm kind of an energetic guy. Yeah. And, you know, for five hours, six hours, I, but for 12 hours. There's no one has that much energy. Until, while there's an audience, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to have that energy. Yeah. It's when they go and the dopamine crash hits. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's, that's the hard part. When the uh, open time with Meriwether here. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> I'm glad I got old before I got famous. Right. Yeah. Because I can really understand when you're treated like a rock star and yeah. then everyone leaves and you're left to your own brain. Yeah. Your brain craves that love and that attention again. And I can see where a lot of the, the people end up hooked on drugs and so forth. And luckily I'm old enough to know, okay, this will pass. Give me an hour and, you know, things will be fine. Well, there's there's a big thing right now with her, the whole um, benefits of like CBD and all those types of things. And I was wondering what's your, your stance on, you know, cooking with marijuana and all that kind of stuff. Um, okay. So the human body actually has nerve receptors designed specifically for the 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 cannabinoids so the the two oldest medicines that we know of for the human race is the marijuana and opium we we found jars 14,000 years old and older that had that residue in it now me personally because i need my brain you know on all eight cylinders all the time I generally don't, well, I, I had, I, I smoked it twice way back in grad school, 30 some years ago. It didn't seem to do much for me, but the CBD, uh, I use it to control pain. I've had a lot of broken bones in my life. Um, and so there are times when, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it hurts. <laughs> and so I found the CBD helps better than anything else that I've tried. Okay. Yeah. So, so and like I said, we we evolve, we co-evolve. Yeah, with it. So. Okay, so you're you're more in the the kind of um, not even the medicinal side of things. You're more in the side of like it's a topical kind of thing to use. It's not like a day to day type. Right, right. Have yeah. this thing, which is understandable. Yeah. A lot of people are trying and, to like push the benefits of oh, you, you have a scoop of CBD every day. It's going to do this. I'm thinking, I don't think anything should be taken like that. But you got to let people find yeah, things out for yeah. themselves. And and so let me just like the brain pill. The brain pill helps with focus and memory and attention. The lion's mane is actually shown to increase the number of neurons in the brain. I do not recommend it for anyone really under the age of 18 because you don't want to mess with the chemistry of the brain while it's still developing. You want it you want to live a lifestyle that allows the brain to develop properly. You don't want to sedate it or suppress it or alter it with chemicals, whether it be marijuana or the brain pill or anything. You know, get out in the woods, you know, do all that sort of stuff, you know, tap the inner caveman stuff, solve puzzles, touch rocks, throw things at stuff that's really good for the brain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But then later on, when you're an adult, then in moderation, the, you know, it's, it's, don't let it be the main thing in your life. Yeah. And, and that can be said about anything yeah. in your life. I, I mean, kind of following on from the whole, you know, marijuana, da, 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 da. Do you make homemade moonshine or is that not your type of thing? I make wine. I okay. make beer. Yeah. I don't distill it because that would be illegal. Illegal. <laughs> <laughs> We'll keep that between me and you but okay so so what is it like making beer and um and wine what's that like and how's that work oh so it's real easy um let's let's go way back in time now the one of the theories of why humans developed agriculture why we started growing wheat in particular is because we figured out before then that you could make beer or an alcoholic drink from these seeds. And it was really good, made us feel good. Every culture has figured out a way to make alcohol. Um, if you watch the Discovery Channel, History Channel, way back when they actually had science, you would eventually see a group of people like, you know, somewhere in the jungle, a bunch of women sitting around chewing some sort of starchy root and then spitting it into a pot and adding some water and letting it sit for three days and then coming back and drinking it. So, What's going on there is we already talked starch is a bunch of sugar molecules linked together. 
In your saliva, there's an enzyme who breaks starch into sugar. If you're bored someday, you take a piece of like some mashed potatoes and just hold it in your mouth for a while, it starts to taste sweet because you're breaking that in. Once you have sugars, there's constantly wild yeast in the air and mix sugar with yeast and water. The yeast breaks the sugars into carbon dioxide and ethanol. Right. You got beer. Yeah. So I'm big into the wild plant, wild fermentation type stuff. Uh, if you've ever looked at grapes, if you rub them, you notice there's like this powder on the surface of the grapes. That's wild yeast. Right. You don't have to go and buy special yeast. Now, the reason you buy special yeast, because most wild yeast, it can only get to about 3 to 5% alcohol before the alcohol content kills it. Yeah. But all these brewer's yeast and special wine yeast and champagne yeast, they have been bred over the centuries to be able to withstand a higher concentration of alcohol up to like 14%. Right, yeah. So it's like things like kombucha, because apparently people say kombucha is proper easy to make. Like it's, you kind of just, yeah. you set it and forget it, or you get the mother of scoby thing, whack that yep. in and you're, and you're good to go. But with yeah, wine, some it's- some tea a, and some sugar. Yeah. It's, yeah, the main thing is keeping other stuff out. So you just want to you know, make sure everything is sterilized well. And as the yeast breaks down the sugar, it releases a carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is a gas. If you have a tightly sealed container, it's going to blow up because it produces a lot of gas. So you need a special device that's called an airlock that allows the bubbles out, but does not allow oxygen back in. Because oxygen will, uh, well, if you're going back in, you're also getting other bacteria in the air that can either spoil the alcohol, ruin the alcohol, or if you're lucky, turn it into vinegar. And there are different ways to do that. I was about to say, a lot of people try and make homemade wine and end up with vinegar. <laughs> yeah. And that's because either they didn't sterilize it well enough or they allowed air back in with the different bacteria on it. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, any of the fruits I like just experimenting, you know, what can I do with the wild yeasts and the wild fruits? Um, I do play around with, uh, you know, I have some store-bought yeast to make the higher strength stuff, but a lot of it, um basically I, I figure if i ever end up in prison i'm going to be a popular guy because oh, i can 100%. pretty much make <laughs> anything out i can of anything. make alcohol from yeah wow <laughs> so yeah so that and then the beer um like nowadays beer it's like barley hops water and you know rice things like that but at least in north america when the westerners came over from europe pretty much any seed was converted into beer uh, there's a famous beer author, Stan Harmonious, uh, that has a bunch of different books. He did a, like a beer tour of Europe and all this sort of thing. And uh, But he was looking more and more into the farm beers and the local beers and all these different seeds and stuff that people were using to make beer. Yeah. He actually reached out to me. And so we, we wrote, I was the technical advisor on that book, uh, you know, the different seeds and the ratios and how to do all that. And you know, roasting them and you still need the malt to break the starches and like acorns, uh, things like that. And in Europe, I mean, I, I, you know, an acorn, oak yeah, tree. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you've ever actually tasted an acorn at any Not time. Not yet, but life. now I will. <laughs> well, okay. They're very, very, very bitter. Okay. So you need to leach them. It basically, it's like the reverse of making coffee where coffee, you put the grounds in and run the water through it and you drink the water with the acorns, use the same thing, use the coffee maker. Uh, but you throw away the water that has extracted the tannic acid and then with the grounds. One of the cool things about acorns, though, most nuts are loaded with protein and oils. Acorns are loaded with oils and some protein, but mainly they are starch. Right. Pound for pound, they have more starch than wheat. Right. And when you have starch, you have beer. Yeah. So for a long time in Europe, they would make beer from the acorns. Okay. So, and it just fell out, of, you know, as wheat and barley and all those things came in, uh, they became more popular for whatever reason. Wow. So usually it's like uh, some foreign or some hard to do food comes in. It becomes very popular amongst the rich because they have the resources to make this hard food. Yeah. And then from there it trickles down, you know, to the, the poorer and poorer people as either it becomes more popular or, you know, industry gets a hold of it, things like that. So, 
I have one last question sure. for you. When was the last time you ate fast food? Okay, so this is going to sound bad, but usually after a day of teaching, I've been out in the wild. I've been, you know, a lot of times I will do two four-hour classes, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Very little time in between. So I'm just going, going, going like this for eight hours. Exhausted. I go get myself a cheeseburger. <laughs> so so here in Texas, we have a fast food joint called Whataburger, which is just absolutely fantastic. So I go and I treat myself to a Whataburger patty melt, onion rings, and a Coke. And that, because during, I've, I've actually weighed myself at the beginning of a class and after, at the end of the class, <laughs> I can lose up to 10 pounds. Just from sheer energy. Just from energy and sweat and all that. And so by the end, I am drained. Yeah. And then that's when I treat myself to the fast food. Okay. But yeah, so it's everything in moderation. Here's how to get in touch with Mark. Yeah, so on Facebook, you can find me under Foraging Texas. So facebook.com slash Foraging Texas. I will say, even though the word has Texas in it, a lot of these plants are found not only all across North America, but all over the world. So, you know, the oaks and you know a lot of the weeds, a lot of the weeds in North America were actually came from Europe, came from Africa, came from Asia as, you know, the, the, the globalization and all that sort of thing. So yeah, Foraging Texas, not just for Texas. The medicinemanplantco.com, that is where I sell my ancient plants for herbal medicines. I will tell you, I have trust issues. And so everything is triple tested. It is tested when it comes from the farmer's fields to make sure there's no sawdust or crap like that in it. No pesticides, no heavy metals. It is then tested during manufacturing. And then I still take random bottles and get those tested too. Because that's one of the big problems with the, the herbal supplement market is there were so many sawdust sellers out there that it, it, you know, I don't want to be that. I want to truly help people. And so part of that is selective paranoia on the manufacturing process, making sure no BS gets in there. So Medicine Man Plant Co. Or if you go to the website foragingtexas.com, that is the center of my social media empire. So from there, you can get to Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.